Well, today, you might have guessed, is a special focus Sunday. <laughs> today is a very special Sunday because today we are relaunching our small group ministry at Bonavista Baptist Church. And uh, small group ministry has been a part of this church since the very beginning, right? It goes all the way back 50 years, which isn't that far, <laughs> but uh, we go back a long time in terms of our small group ministry. However, about three years ago, we had this thing called COVID, if anybody remembers. Um, it kind of interrupted some of the flow of ministry here and everywhere, and uh, it still is interrupting uh, people's lives from time to time. But we tried really hard to maintain our small group momentum during the COVID restriction time. And so do you remember? We tried, uh, what was that thing called? Zoom? And it was so novel and kind of interesting and kind of funky. It was futuristic for some people at first. And it was a bit of a pain to kind of get a hold of. But once you learned it, it was, it was kind of cool at first. But we got tired of it pretty quickly. <laughs> and so then we tried, you know, the social distance gatherings. We set up in, in the fireside. And we had our chairs spread apart. And we had our masks on. And we tried our best to communicate with one another. But that's not much of a small group when you're shouting to one another. It just feels like you're arguing all the time. And so it was difficult. It was a hard season. And we lost a lot of momentum with our small group ministry during that time. Well, over the last few months, Pastor Samuel, who is now in charge of small groups, has been working hard behind the scenes to rebuild our small groups. And there's been a challenge in that too, because we had to find leaders and homes, <laughs> and that can be difficult. And so today we're really grateful that we're able to commission a bunch of leaders. Some are already serving in small groups in a variety of ways, and some are brand new to serving at Bonavista Baptist Church. So at the end of this message, look forward to it, stay awake for it, uh, we are going to be commissioning a number of leaders who are going to be leading our small groups. And we are also going to be inviting the whole congregation to talk to those leaders after the service out in the foyer where you can find out information on what they're doing, on where they're meeting, on what the plan is with these small groups. And then when you go home, you can go online to our website and you can sign up to join one of those small groups. Now here's the problem. The additional challenge is we don't have the capacity right now to have everyone involved. So it's kind of first come, first serve, because we don't want these groups being 30 people descending on, you know, Pastor Samuel's house at one time. Uh, it's just not going to work for us. So we're relaunching this, but we also need to build more leaders and more places to meet. And so if you are interested, talk to Pastor Samuel. Pastor Samuel's also been encouraging us to think of our small group strategy in two ways. One is the seasonal uh, Bible study groups that we have. And we've got a number of them, especially the ladies groups are very active in these seasonal Bible studies. These groups that are uh, intent on digging deeper into Scripture, and that's their primary focus as they come together. But they sometimes come together just for a season or just for that study. But then we also really want to grow our life groups. And we call them life groups because these are the groups that do life together. And yes, the Bible is still part of that, but there's so much more that they do together. And so all of that today, we're kind of relaunching and getting excited about, and I hope you get excited about it too, even if you're not in a small group or not able to be in a small group, but we pray together that this will help us. So Pastor Samuel today asked me to share a message 
on small groups. There's only one problem. Small groups aren't biblical. You're supposed to laugh at that. That's a joke. And Pastor Samuel saying, uh, I should have preached this sermon probably. But Here's what I mean by that. There's not a, a, a page I can turn you to in the Bible. There's not a section of Scripture that I can turn you in is, is the definitive uh, formula for small groups in the church. You can't turn to a chapter and verse and find out that, you know, you've got to keep them under 12 people. And once they get to 15, you've got to divide. And then every uh, evening that you meet, you must serve brownies or some kind of chocolate delicacy, right? We, we, you just don't find that in the Scripture. You don't find a prescription for small group ministry. But that's true of many of the activities that we do in the church, Right? That's true of all kinds of things. Uh, there's no place in the New Testament you can turn to and, uh, and see how to develop a choir for your congregation. But we loved the choir last week. It was amazing, right? Uh, there, there's no place you can turn to and discover uh, what color of the pews you're supposed to have. I don't even think pews are mentioned, to be honest. Um, that's a little plug there. But, and, and, and also live streaming. And we could go on. Youth ministry and everything else. There's not a chapter and a verse. That's not how this kind of develops and how ministry works. And that's because the New Testament isn't a how-to manual. We don't turn to the New Testament just to figure out how to do church. I don't even like that term of how to do church. Jesus didn't leave us a set of bylaws. He didn't leave us a playbook to follow. But he did leave us something. Jesus left us with a vision for the kingdom of God. And he left us with a mission to make disciples. And most importantly, he gave us his spirit to make those things a reality. And that's what we need to be about the vision of the kingdom of God, the mission of making disciples in the power of the Spirit. That's what Jesus left for us to do, and that's how he left for us to do it. And so all of our structures, all of our habits, all of our ways of organizing, all of our programs, all of our facilities should lead us toward that vision of the kingdom of God and should help us to achieve that primary mission of making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we have to assess how we operate and how we're spending our money and, and how we're meeting together in order to see, are we being efficient with the resources that God has given us to achieve a, the mission that he set before us? One of the things I love here is that over these last, uh, this last year, really, we've had a kingdom vision for ministry where we haven't held on to our building and become so protective of it. You know, well, we paid for those live streaming resources and we pay for this building and we pay for this parking lot and we pay for all these things. Uh, we've actually opened up the doors and three other congregations are sharing this building. I think that's a kingdom vision of ministry. And so our resources need to lead us toward the kingdom, toward this bigger vision but the, the, these resources also have to be used to help us to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So here's what I believe. I believe that small groups in the church can be powerful kingdom communities that effectively make disciples of Jesus. In fact, I think we're made for this. 
I think we're made for this kind of community experience. Remember back in the uh, creation narrative, the creation story, this origin story that teaches us so much? Um, there's so many good things. God, you know, every day, I think, except for Monday, he said, it's good. It's good. You ever wonder why Mondays aren't good? Not even God said Monday was good. Okay. <laughs> it's good. He says all along, it's good. It's good. It's good. What's the first thing he said? It's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make someone compatible for him. This sense of, of human community is right at the very foundation of who we are as human beings made in God's image. We're meant to be in this kind of intimate community with one another. So whenever you hear someone say, all I need is God, all I need is Jesus, well, God says, no, you, you actually need one another. You need to be in community in some way with one another so you can encourage one another, so you can spur one another on to good works. And that's what I think small groups do for us. So we're going to turn today and read a short section out of the book of Acts. And I just find Acts to be one of the most exciting books in the whole Bible. It's way better than Leviticus, Numbers, you know, you name them. Acts is incredible, and it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it could probably be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we find. And one of the things that makes it really exciting is that right after the day of Pentecost, you see the church just explode in a good way. It just grows exponentially, like almost out of control. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, and verse 15, you'll read this. During this time, about 120 believers put together in one place. There might have been other believers scattered around, but that's kind of the nucleus. That's the starting point. Keep that number in mind, 120. And then you just turn over to chapter 2 and verse 41, and it says this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Can you imagine just going from 120 to 3,000? It just, it's exponential. It'd be overwhelming to have that kind of capacity uh, growth. And then chapters 4, verse 4 says, The number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. And that's just the men, that's not the women and children. And then in chapter 5, verse 14, Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. They're not even counting anymore. <laughs> it's just crowds. It's multitudes that are, that are coming. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. The believers rapidly multiplied. <laughs> it goes from addition to multiplication. And we're just seeing this exponential growth of the church. It's kind of like the, this Holy Spirit just had this motto, go big or go home. And they went big. The, the church went big in a hurry. But here's the key of the church. The church went big and went home. And that's what we're going to find in our passage. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 and just read a few of these verses. <clears throat> All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, there's the brownies, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When you read that, and when I read that to you and you hear it, don't you want to say, oh, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that church. I want what, I want what they're drinking. <laughs> I want to have that kind of joy. I want to see that kind of generosity. I want to, I want to see that kind of favor in the community. I, I want that. This kind of ideal community that we hold up as being the, the, the kernel seed of the, of the young church. That's what we hold to. That's what we want. But here's a word of warning. Be careful about romanticizing the early church. I think that's been one of the, the problems in, the, in Baptist history. It's why we have so many splinter groups all along, right? It's because we have this thing called the pure church ideal. And that's why, you know, as the church gets old like we are at 50, <laughs> right? Uh, as we get older, then you get sometimes other churches saying, we're going to start up something new, and this time, we're going to get it right. I've been there. <laughs> I've been involved in church planting, and some of, some of the rest of you have as well. And you have this kind of attitude. You might not say it out loud, but you might say, you know, I know there's a church, you know, five kilometers down the road, and there's one just up the street, but we're going to get it right. We're going back to the origins. We're going back to the pure church ideal. We are going to live out Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we have to be careful with that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about forming community, especially in the church. He said, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. I think that's incredibly profound. And we have to be careful as, as leaders in the church and pastors in the church. Sometimes we hold this, this pure church ideal of what we imagine we could be in the spirit if everybody just obeyed Jesus like Samuel and I do. <laughs> and we hold this kind of pure church ideal. And then when the church doesn't turn out that way, we're like, oh, that church. No, it's not this church. We're talking about other churches we've served, right? But we have to be really careful with that. Instead of holding ourselves to some level of perfection, maybe if we love one another, then we see that community formed. In fact, very quickly in the Acts of the Apostles, this pure church ideal kind of disintegrates. In chapter 2, we read that they were meeting publicly in the temple, and they had the favor of all the people. But then you turn to chapter 4, and Peter and John are being rest, arrested and thrown into jail for preaching in the temple. Something's going off course here. And then you turn to chapter 5, and you find two of the believers in the community are struck down by God for trying to show off. And then you turn to chapter 6, and you realize that there's a group that are complaining that the pastors aren't giving them enough attention. And then you turn to chapter 7, and you find the first martyr in the church. Now they're being killed. And then you turn to chapter 8, and you read this. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. That pure church ideal suddenly faced very quickly a whole lot of stresses and problems. Stresses from within and conflict and even deception and stresses from around them in terms of not only the culture, uh, but people trying to kill them. (laughs) How did they survive? How did the church survive during those times and how does it survive today? Well, first of all, we want to say it's not by any program. It's not because of some strategy. It's not even because of a small group strategy. That's not the reason the church survived. The reason the church survived is because it's a work of God's spirit. We always have to keep that in mind. It's a work of God's spirit. God's spirit who makes this a reality when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? That's the promise. That's what Jesus declared. And so the church survived because of the Spirit of God. And because the Spirit of God took care of Paul, Saul that was destroying the church, Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus, and he's totally transformed. And that changes the church too. But also, I think the church was preserved because of this. That while the church began with public meetings, their faith went home. And I mean mean that on multiple levels. They physically gathered together in small groups in their own homes. But also, I mean that they lived out their faith in authenticity in their home setting, where they worked, who they associated with, with their families. Faith wasn't just a show up on Sunday kind of thing. Faith went home. And that's the power of the early church And that's the DNA that is still in the church today. And that's the power of this church too. We are only powerful in the sense of the Spirit when our faith is authentic, when our faith goes home. And that's, I think, what small groups help us to do. As the church gets bigger, we also have to get smaller. Because the reality is in the public setting, we can't know everyone But in small groups, we can create spaces where everyone can be known. And that's the power of a small group. It's relatively easy to put on a show in public worship. Pastor Samuel encourages us as we're driving to church, make sure we warm up our voice. But sometimes as we're driving to church, we also make sure we put on our face. I'm not talking about makeup, but I'm talking about that sense of we put on a show as we come in sometimes. But in small group setting, you're kind of forced to be authentic. You're forced in a good way to be who you really are and wrestle honestly with those things. And that's the power because it's authentic faith that will preserve the witness of the church. So what did they do, this early church, that made them so effective as they took faith home? Well, we read it together. And it doesn't take a lot of explanation, but I'm going to kind of highlight some of those key things. They studied the Word of God. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They unpacked what they had heard from Peter uh, when they went to the temple to large worship together in the, the temple courts. And when they heard Peter and John preaching, then they got home in their small groups, in their home groups, and they unpacked what they were hearing, both from the apostles and from the scriptures they knew. 
It also says that they shared their lives with one another. There's a great Greek word, you might have heard of it, koinonia or koinonia, however you want to pronounce it, tomato, tomato, um, but it's there. It's a great word, and, and it has to do with this intimate participation. They participated intimately in this covenant community with one another. They shared their lives together. Um, there, was, there was stuff that's shared in the small group that's not shared anywhere else. We should have a model. What happens in small group stays in small group, right? And, and that's what was happening. They were sharing the intimacy of their lives together. And they also enjoyed meals together, uh, including that memorial portion. As part of the meal, you know, as they were sharing the meal together, I think they often then would also share in the Lord's Supper. It seemed to be something that they did on a regular basis. Some of you have been involved in Alpha, and I've been involved in Alpha for many, many years, and we hope to start up an Alpha group again uh, in the fall. And Alpha is a, a course that we run in the church to help people explore the basic tenets of the Christian faith. But the secret to Alpha, in my estimation, has always been food. Because something happens when you come together around, whether it's a meal, or whether it's around dessert, or whether it's around coffee. There's a recognition of your common humanity, that we are hungry creatures. And at the same time that we're hungry for food, material food, we also hunger for the Spirit of God. And so food was part of this original gathering. They also mobilized their resources. This was incredibly important because as the Christian church took off, at first it was, it, Jesus was a rabbi, and they were tolerated in the temple, but they began to be put out of the synagogues, and they lost their whole social uh, net that they relied on. And so the early church began to sell off their possessions and make sure that everyone was cared for. Uh, one of the, the, the Roman uh, Caesars, he said, these Christians, they're not only caring for their own poor, they're caring for ours as well. And he was mad at that, right? But that's what the Christians, that's what the early church did. They, they were willing to sacrifice in order to make sure that everybody's needs were met. They mobilized their resources. I love it when in our small groups, in our life groups, I've seen this over and over again. They mobilize to serve others. They pool their resources together. We've seen it at Christmas time, or we've seen it at crisis times. We've seen it when small groups serve with the mustard seed, or they serve someone in their community in need. That's what life groups do as well. Here's another thing that we read in that passage in Acts. They made room for others. Now, this is tough because of the structures of our homes sometimes only allow so much. And sometimes once you get too many in a group, it's hard to continue with that intimacy. But there's an evidence that they made room for others. As each day God added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What a wonderful way to reach out to your neighbors and to your family and friends and say, hey, there's a place for you here. There's a place for you to join us. And then finally, they committed themselves to prayer. Do you recognize all those features if you've been part of a small group before? Studying the word, sharing the lives and intimacy with one another, enjoying meals together, mobilizing resources, making room for others, and committing to prayer. That's the essence of what we're doing together as we not only meet here, but as we take faith home, as we go to our small groups. And so this isn't a formula. I said at the beginning, small groups are not biblical. I said that tongue in cheek in the sense of, of it's not, you can't turn to a passage and find a formula. 
But this is an accurate description of the fruit of the Spirit early in the life of the church. And it's those same values that we embrace in our small groups today. And that's why we're so excited to relaunch small group ministry here at Bonavista Baptist Church. I believe that's actually how the church met the challenge of the exponential growth of the church. They broke it down into smaller groups. That's how the church actually endured persecution. And that's how the church around the world today still endures persecution. They meet in their homes. And that's how the church made disciples and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. It's through these small, intimate groups that had so much power in the spirit. And so at Bonavista Baptist, small groups are essential. And like the very early church, we are able to meet in public, but we also want faith to go home. We would love to see everyone connected in some kind of small group, some connection that goes beyond Sunday, some kind of group for encouragement, for mobilization. We'd love to see everyone. And sometimes we have these affinity groups, according maybe to age, or according to service projects, or according to ministry opportunities. I actually think our choir, as they gathered together, was a kind of small group because they made those relational connections, and so we can have that. But we can also have these seasonal Bible studies, but especially we long to see the development of life groups where you can become part of a special community where you're cared for, where you're known, and where you can serve.